Hey guys, welcome back to the Claim the Stage podcast. I'm Angela Lucier. I'm your host. I'm also a speaker and author and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood and the Speaking School for Women. The Claim the Stage podcast is a, a podcast about public speaking <laughs> for women. So you're probably starting to sense a trend. And I interview lots of amazing authors, thought leaders, speakers, entrepreneurs. I may interview. I interviewed my cat once. She was not the best interview, but I may bring more zoo animals on. We'll see how things go. Today's episode is a special episode because I'm interviewing Vanessa Van Edwards, who is the author of the new book, Captivate, Use Science to Succeed with People. And this interview was so fun because she has such great tips that are so simple yet so huge that can help you to be a better speaker. And some of her work that she highlights is is research she's done into what makes public speakers more effective on stage than others. And they use TED Talks as their example. And I, I was really shocked by what they learned. Now, she asks some really good questions in the beginning of her book, and I want to share them with you because I think that they're really helpful in giving you some context for what we're going to talk about in this interview. Here goes. Do you wish you could decode people? Do you want a formula for charisma? Do you want to know exactly what to say to your boss, your date, or your networking partner? You need to know how people work. So that's like the introduction to her book. If that sounds at all interesting to you, you're going to love today's interview. And the other cool thing about our interview today is she and her team put together a whole webpage specifically for us that has tons of great resources that you can check out after the interview. So if you go to her website, scienceofpeople.com slash podcast, you'll get access to tons of really great videos. And I was actually just checking them out and I was like, oh my God, I want to watch all of these. How to talk to anyone, 33 killer conversation starters, how to read the face, how Are you an ambivert, extrovert, or introvert? Seven hand gestures you should be using. And all of this and all these videos are based on research, which I think is so cool because she is so fascinated by how people work that she spends all of her time studying them. So you'll learn more about her today in our interview, and maybe you'll learn a little bit about yourself as well. So enjoy. Vanessa Van Edwards is the lead investigator at Science of People, a human behavior research lab. She is a Huffington Post columnist and a published author. Her innovative work has been featured on NPR, Business Week, and USA Today. She regularly gives keynotes and appears in the media to talk about her research. She has written for CNN, Fast Company, and Forbes. Her latest book, Captivate, was chosen as one of Apple's most anticipated books of 2017. Vanessa, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited about your new book, and I got a chance to look at it a little bit, and I thought, wow, what a cool way to put a book together with these three sections of, like, five minutes, the first five minutes, the first five hours, the first, like, I just felt like, wow, there's so much here, like, I want to talk about everything, but I think the thing that applies the most to my audience is those first five minutes of getting on stage, and so before we jump into that, can you give a little overview of, like, how you got into this type of work, and and what you're trying to do here with this with this like awesome investigation? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when I was thinking about how do you split up a relationship or how would you break a relationship into pieces, um, you know, first I was thinking, oh, it's first impression, maybe it's rapport. But then I was like, no, actually what happens in most interactions, whether it's with an audience or with a date or with a client is you have these first five minutes, which I know that we're going to talk about. You have these first five hours, which can be five dates, which can be um, five meetings, and you have these first five days, and that's when you really level up and either date someone or become their partner or hire them or or whatever. And so it's I I liked splitting up the relationship like that, and that is kind of how I got into this work. I think about people in very formulaic ways. Um, I realized that people skills do not come naturally to me. I, I joke that I'm a recovering awkward person, and um, so soft skills or people skills are just. I just never understood how to have a conversation, what it was like to be a leader. Um, So I had to study people like I study for math or science. And that is exactly how I got into this line of work is if I had to look at people skills in terms of formula and algorithms, what would I do? Wow. That is so fascinating to break it down that way, too, because there is so much going on in every interaction. So to be able to notice those different pieces, whether it's the actual words or the energy or the body language, um, I'm sure that's an interesting study that has helped you to advance in in the communication (laughs) with people. Yeah. And also... We are talking a lot about these days about the idea of hacking, right? We Life hacks are really big, but also I actually felt jealousy when I talked to computer programmers because they had developed this language around this amazing technological feat. They, they could program or hack or write a language for what makes our websites run, what makes our computer run, and I felt jealous. I was I wish that I had a computer programming language for humans. I wish I could hack humans. And that's that was the seed of, well, maybe I can. Like maybe there is a sort of hidden language to the beauty of our beast, you know, of our of our um, complexity. And so in a way, it's sort of like my human behavior hacking guide. I love that. And I hope we can do some hacking here today because we're talking yeah. about public speaking. And <laughs> this is one of those subjects that is terrifying. And I often get asked by people, how can I feel more confident and comfortable on stage more quickly? And like, how mm-hmm. do I do, how do I get on stage and make the audience trust me? And so when I saw that your book was broken into this, this section on the first five minutes, I thought we need to focus on that because that is the most critical point for a speaker when they first get on stage to try and build that trust and that likability with the audience. So I want to ask you from the audience's standpoint first, when a speaker gets on stage and the audience is deciding whether or not they like them, do you know what exactly they're trying to decode about that person? Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. The first five minutes are everything. I would even say it's even shorter than that. It's really the first minute, Um, maybe even the first few seconds. Um, So what the audience is trying to decide is a couple different things. And I I call these these different um, uh, things three levels, because once you pass through that level, you level up in a certain sense. So what people are trying to decipher um, very first and foremost is, are you friend or foe? So are you a threat? Can I be safe around you? Do I have to worry? Right. And that that's a survival mechanism. Whenever we see a stranger, we're trying to decide, is this person going to harm me or attack me? Fair, that's, that, that's in less second. Um, that's uh, the fear part of our brain that's reacting. The second thing that the audience decides is, and forgive me, this is the only way I can think to say this, is are you a winner or a loser? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know people always get real... Um, 
real prickly about that. So what I mean by that is we like winners. We like to hear from winners. We like to be around winners. It was the same thing in school when, you know, you saw a cool kid. You're like, ooh, that's a cool kid. Somehow you just kind of knew. And, of course, the cool kid, everyone wanted to be around the cool kid. Everyone dressed like the cool kid. We cannot help but be attracted to these social alphas. So that's the second thing we're trying to decide is, is this person a winner or a loser? In other words, do they feel confident? Because if they feel confident, that means I should feel confident. If a speaker takes the stage and we sense any kind of discomfort or lack of confidence, it signals to us that they don't deserve our full attention. So we actually take the cues of if you're a winner or a loser from you if you think you're a winner or a loser. Hmm. So that's the second thing. And that's, that's when we get into should I listen to this person. So the first one, are you friend or foe, is am I safe? The second thing, are you a winner or a loser, is should I listen to this person? Mm-hmm. And the last one is are you an ally or an enemy? And what I mean by this is, are you going to be a part of my team? So the, when you're looking at TED Talks or um, uh, pub, corporate presentations or board meetings or pitches, the very final stage that we try to level up with is, is this person like me? Is this person who either I will invest in, I will buy their book, I will, I will like them, I will, I will take their ideas, I will believe their ideas. It's that last level of buy-in, which as a speaker... You don't have to hit that level, right? As a speaker, I know that on my worst day, on the really bad days when I'm speaking, I will merely be interesting. And that's okay, (laughs) right? Like, okay, if if I can just provide some interesting facts, that's okay. But the, the, when I'm, when it's a really special day, I'm inspirational. And I think that's the difference between those two levels. It's just interesting. People listen and go, oh, okay. Versus I'm going to change a behavior. I'm going to do something. I'm going to buy into you. That's that final last level. I love that. I love that you broke it down that way. Cause I, as, as an audience member, I never realized I was evaluating those three things, but you're absolutely right. So what can a, a speaker do to convey all of those things to their audience? Cause it sounds like there's kind of a lot <laughs> to be. Yeah, yes, about. yes, yes. It's a lot, but I think it's totally doable. And and so I'm a I'm a science geek. So can I share a scientific study that I did on this? Yes. Okay. So I love TED Talks, and um, every every day at lunch I watch TED Talk. And um, so one day I was on the TED website, and I was uh, searching in their little search bar leadership because I I love leadership, and I'm always looking for new talks. This was a while ago. And up popped two talks, one by Simon Sinek, which at the time I think had, you know, 45 million views. And the second was by um, someone named Fields Wicker Murin. And that one had about 22,000 views. And I looked at these two talks and I realized that I had stumbled upon a puzzle. Both of these talks were 18 minutes long. Both of these talks came out the same month of the same year, September of 2009. Both of them had almost the exact same title, like their titles were extremely similar, similar tags, similar description, and both at the time they came out were by relatively unknown experts. So Simon Sinek has become very famous from his TED Talk. When he first came out with it, it, he was just a well-known expert in his field. Uh One went viral and one didn't. And I realized there had to be something that was happening, of course, the content of the talk, but even within the first few seconds of the talk or the first five minutes of the talk to signal to people to keep watching. And so what we did is I set up a huge experiment in our lab where we analyzed thousands of hours of TED Talks. 
we analyzed every TED Talk from 2010 looking for patterns, trying to see if there was differences between the most popular, and all we were using as a gauge for this was the view count. Very easy to measure, very clear, to see if there was a difference between the most popular and least popular TED Talks. And what we found was there was very clear differences, so much so that you could probably watch the first few seconds of a TED Talk and know if that TED Talk was going to go viral based on these patterns. And the first one, which is really easy for us to think about, is the most popular TED Talkers used an average of 465 hand gestures in 18 minutes. The least popular TED Talkers used an average of 272 hand gestures in 18 minutes. This is, I mean, this is a, it's a huge difference there. Yeah. And what I realized was that there was something about the hand gestures that indicated all three levels, that passed through all three levels that I talked about. And this goes to our um, amygdala in our brain. So first, when you see someone's hands, you are you feel more at ease because our hands show intention. So the speakers that came out, waved at the audience, gestured at the audience, pointed at someone they knew to say hello, immediately was as if they were signaling to the audience, you can trust me, you can see my hands. You know, The first thing that police officers say is get your hands up. That is because they are our deadliest weapons. And so they immediately passed the first level by literally showing their palm, like showing, showing their hand to the audience. Um, we noticed that was a big difference. The least popular TED Talkers came out with, a, with their hands behind their back, with their hands behind a podium. And very few TED Talks have a podium. Usually they have the red stage. Yeah. We noticed that the ones that had the worst ratings used or had a podium. And that's that because it's, it's pointing to the safety, right, that you talked about. That's the first thing people are looking for. And if you show your hands, that's an indicator that this person is safe. Is that that exact that that you can trust them. Yeah. So I think that, and also what was interesting was the few speakers that use the podium. I think that they actually asked the coordinators, the conference coordinators, to have the podium out there for a comfort for them, which means that they were also not passing through level two, which is, are you a winner or a loser? Mm. If you need to have a podium to speak, that means you are less confident in your ability to memorize or your ability to, to present without notes or with a couple of, you know, maybe bullets on a slide below you. And so in a way that it had this triple fall effect of, I can't see their hands, so I don't trust them as much. And this is just a instinctual thing that happens right away. Um, and second, they are not as confident they need a podium. So in a way, they signaled that they did not pass those, those first two levels. And the last one, which is these hand gestures, is as I was watching these TED Talks over and over again on silent, and all of my poor researchers, you know, we had researchers painstakingly counting every single hand gesture. <laughs> um, yeah, we noticed that the really best speakers were not just jazz handing. They weren't, you know, they weren't just sort of shaking their hands. They were actually speaking to their audiences on two different tracks. They were using their hands to demonstrate their words. So I think that what was happening was, is remember when you were little and you got your first book and you would like skip through to see the pictures? Yeah. Our brain loves images. They love pictures. And slides are okay, but what was even more powerful was seeing someone say they had a big idea and they held their hands out big, like they were holding a big beach ball. Hmm. Or they were going to talk about three different things, and they anchored those three things by holding up one, two, and three fingers. 
when they talked about bringing people together, they would actually hold two different people in each hand, their left and right, and then mesh them together with their hands. It was extremely um, like mesmerizing mm-hmm. to watch those speakers. And I think that that's how they passed to that last level. It was literally saying, not only am I so confident when I'm saying that I can explain it to you visually, as well as my, my words and my hands, but I can speak to you and mesmerize you into this. That's what I think makes a difference between an, an interesting TED Talk and an inspirational TED Talk. The TED Talks that everyone talks about and watches over and over again, I think that that is a, a major factor. Not the only factor, but a major factor in why. You're making me think of back in like preschool or kindergarten when you're sitting in the circle with your teacher and you're doing you know, the itsy bitsy spider and everyone's acting it out with their hands and each line of the song has its own movement. And do you think that when you're sitting in, a, in an audience and you're watching a speaker, it's bringing you back to those moments when you were a child and enjoying singing a song? Or do you think we loved it before that? <laughs> like when we were born and we were just as humans, we like to see that. It's a really good question. I think that it's actually the latter. So I think I think that according to the research, and, and I always try to stick to the research, um, our brains like visual representation. For example, research has found that nonverbal holds 12 is 12.5 times more impactful than verbal. In other words, if I were to say to you, I have three different ideas, but I held up five fingers, your brain would put more weight, 12.5 times more weight on my hands holding up five things than my words saying three things. Um, and so that is also because, and I don't mean to get too, um, limbic system on you. So just, you can tell me this is boring, (laughs) but um, what we're talking about here is our body language is much more honest than our words. It's very easy to lie with your words. It's very hard to lie with your body. So from an evolutionary perspective, our brain knows this and therefore gives more weight to someone's nonverbal because that is more honest. So if you are a speaker taking the stage and you have the perfectly scripted script, you know exactly what you're saying, you have it memorized, you have it down pat, but you have not thought about how you are going to align your nonverbal with your words, you're actually leaving 60% of your communication ability on the table because about 60% of our communication is nonverbal. So it's like putting all of your eggs in the verbal basket. Yeah. (laughs) So it sounds like getting on stage and not being animated or at least using your hands to help tell the story and standing behind a podium are things we want to avoid. Are there other things that speakers do to mess up that trust and safety with their audience? Yes, yes. So um, one of the other patterns we found, and, and you're welcome to, we have, I think we found five or six patterns total. We even looked at color of top. We looked at glasses. We, look at, we looked at men versus women. We tried to find it all. Um, one of the other really interesting ones that I wanted to bring up was we asked raters. So we had three researchers in our lab coding all these TED Talks, but we also asked participants to watch TED Talks and rate the speakers on three different things, credibility, charisma, and intelligence. And the reason I chose those three things is because I think that that is what we are trying to decide when we hear a speaker. We're trying to decide how credible are they? Do we believe them? How charismatic are they? Are they you know, a captivating or mesmerizing speaker? And lastly, how intelligent are they? Is what they're saying something that I can use for myself? So I chose those three ratings. And what we found was is that 
one thing that greatly affected charisma was the vocal tones, was the vocal power. And that speakers who had vocal emotionality, who used very unique and different kinds of um, tonal patterns, were rated much more charismatic. And this is an interesting one, and I, I, I hate to say this, but I think that scripts kill charisma. Mm-hmm. I think that people who memorize their talks or try to be really perfectly rehearsed on what they're going to say, that actually is worse than being more conversational or not knowing what you're going to say as well. And the perfect example of this is if you watch um, Brene Brown's TED Talks, for example, she takes the stage. And if you listen, if you close your eyes and you listen to her vocal variety, it sounds like she's talking to you over a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. It's so conversational. Whereas some of the other speakers who were extremely polished academic researchers spoke like they were reading from a teleprompter. So like, here's the difference. Like right now I'm talking to you like we're across coffee, right? You are, we're having a conversation. Yeah. If I were going to present this to you, it would sound more like this. One of the major factors that we know influences TED Talkers is their vocal variety. Vocal variety is incredibly important for charisma. And we know this from a study that we conducted using TED Talks. That's the difference between, that is not bad, right? That that kind of presentation is not bad. It's how a lot of speakers present. It's very um, dependable, right? You know, You know that they know what they're talking about. But it is incredibly hard to listen to that yeah. for longer than a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. call that the comfiness factor. Like, if you're giving a speech and I don't feel comfy, like you're talking to me yeah. and like warm and like, then I'm not interested. Because, yeah, I could just read that on a blog, <laughs> you know? Yes. Oh, God, I love that. The comfiness factor. That's a perfect way of putting it. So what I always say to my students, especially my public speaking students, is um, try to... So your elevator pitch, you've said a million times before, right? You, you pro- it's basically scripted. Two challenges. One, try to add nonverbal gestures to explain your pitch. So is there any way that you can add any kind of nonverbal gesture? Two, can you practice saying that elevator pitch at least 30 different ways? Even if you have to add a Southern accent, <laughs> even if you have to, you know, slow down your, your pitch as if you're speaking in slow motion, just practice getting out of your vocal, your tonal cadence, because we all have the same kind of cadence. It helps teach the brain that even if you've said things a million times before, because you know I, I speak every week, I give the same presentation thousands of times, I have to be able to say it differently each time or at least breathe some new life into it. So you can practice with that um, if you are so inclined. And one other um, fun one is there's a really fun game. It's called Utter Nonsense. It's very inappropriate. So if you don't like um, it, things that are inappropriate, don't get it. But what it's what, yeah, um, what it is is it's a game where you pull a card and it will say um, Irish, and so that's the accent card. And then it will pull a card where you where you have to read something like um, a movie quote, and you have to you read the movie quote in the accent. So one thing that I play with some of my students is I make them play that game with their own speech with their own parts of their, their, their script or the thing that they usually say. And I make them explain it in different accents. And there's like 30 different accent cards. They're all, they're all funny. One of them is like, you know, a Valley girl. One of them is uh, a toddler. One of them is, uh, Irish or Australian. One of them is, um, 
um, as if you have marbles in your mouth. They're, they're, they're ways of kind of getting you out of your vocal. So if you're worried about vocal variety, that's a really fun way to do it. I love that. So we only have a couple more minutes and I wanted to think about this from the perspective of, of my listeners. If they're listening to us talking about this right now, what's the first thing they should do when this podcast is over to start improving their presence on stage? Ah, um, the very first thing that I would do is, um, try to create a nonverbal script for your presentation, specifically the first five minutes. And what I mean by nonverbal script is not just hand gestures, which we've talked about, not just pitching and, you know, the pitch and the pause, but also your movement around stage. Um, so we very rarely think about our, how we claim a stage. And that's actually incredibly important for level two, if we're a winner or a loser. Um, scripting out your entrance. So how are you going to walk into the room? How are you going to walk up to the podium? How are you going to take the stairs? Um, thinking about how, what signals you want to send, how you want to look during that period. A lot of the best public speakers I have found do not think about that. So they end up taking the stage and they sort of have this like silly smile on their face because they, they feel silly or they kind of grimace when they're, when they're taking the stage or their name, their introduction is being read. Um, what do you want to do with your face and your body when your introduction is being read? It's very uncomfortable. To it have, is. To, I, 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 I do not like it myself. Um, what I used to do is I used to sort of make this grimace or I would sort of like roll my eyes at my own bio, you know, just because I was so uncomfortable. And I realized that that was really undermining my credibility. And it was also it was doing a disservice to my audience because it was actually distracting them. So I thought about what, how would I like, I thought more purposely about how I would want to take that. So think about all elements of those first five minutes, not when you just start talking, actually, when your audience first sees you, when you're waiting on the side of the room, when you're hooking up your projector, when you're um, setting up, when you're passing out handouts, what non-verbally, what non-verbal messages do you want to send out? Most people do not think about that when they're thinking about their speech. Mm -hmm. I love it. All right, let's jump into our lightning round. I have five quick questions for you. Number one, yes. what's the number one piece of advice you have for women who want to be well-known speakers? Uh, using vocal power. So, um, when, when you hear yourself lose air, so the biggest thing that you, that affects your vocal power is your, is your breath, is your air. So for example, if I speak and I lose air, you can start to hear that I go into a little bit more vocal fry and I lose a lot of power in my voice. And we do this when we're really, really nervous. So if I take in oxygen and I speak on the out breath, it gives me a lot more vocal power. So the biggest one would be, um, use your vocal power because that signifies a lot more confidence. Awesome. Number two, do you have a personal operating philosophy? And if so, what is it? I do. Um, it's dream big, work hard, and you will get there. Yes. Number three, what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? Let's see. So five years ago, what was I doing? Um, <laughs> um, I would probably tell myself, uh, to take more time off. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, what advice do you have for your 75 year old self? Oh, uh, take more time off. <laughs> <laughs> Number five, if you had to pick one object to represent yourself, what would you pick? Probably a pen. I'm a writer. I've always, always have been. <laughs> and lastly, what does it mean to you to claim the stage? Mm. 
it means always trying to be inspirational, not just informational. Awesome. And Vanessa, why don't you tell us a little bit about your book and how we can get more information about you? Yeah. So um, the website is scienceofpeople.com and uh, we have tons of free mini courses on there. I have the the TED research on there as well. So if you want to check out all of the patterns that we found, just go to scienceofpeople.com slash TED. Um, and that has like a, a video overview and what we found. So that's kind of a fun one. And then the book is called Captivate. It is my personal playbook. Uh, much, much, I, I always like to say blood, sweat, and tears, but actually I don't think any blood went into it. So just, <laughs> just sweat and tears in this one. Um, and it's, it's, how I wish I was taught people skills in school. So it's, I created it to be very much like a manual, um, turning soft skills into hard skills. So if you think that way and not everyone does, and that's totally okay. But if that, if that's you, or you love formulas and roadmaps and frameworks and blueprints and algorithms and all those words turn you on because they turn me on, um, then, then I would highly, um, appreciate if you wanted to check it out, it's uh, captivate. It's, um, wherever books are sold. Excellent. And if you're not a book person, you have a lot of great videos on your website that can be entertaining and also really helpful. <laughs> and I just recorded my audiobook, which was crazy and so much fun. And I even did voices of my friends. Like I talk about, you know, friends and people in the book and I tried to imitate my friends' voices. So yeah, that was my first foray into into acting. <laughs> that sounds so fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for being on the show today, Vanessa. I really appreciate you sharing your, your research and your amazing advice. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Good luck, everyone. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Vanessa Van Edwards. How cool is she and how funny is she? I wanted to hang out with her all day. <laughs> if you are interested in anything she had to say, be sure to pick up her book, Captivate. And you can check out her website at scienceofpeople.com slash podcast to get all kinds of little goodies. Thanks for tuning in today. If you like today's episode, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It takes about one minute and it's very helpful for other people to find us and find what we're doing. Thanks so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time.